This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to visit with Michael Saad. Michael's the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at University of Tennessee Medical Center. Uh, he's written a lot about talent shortages in healthcare, about telehealth, and a lot more. So looking forward to visiting with him on some of those issues and a little bit more. Michael, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Well, first off, thank you, Scott. I appreciate you having me on today. It's an honor joining you. Uh, I am, as you said, Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at the University of Tennessee Medical Center. It is the only level one trauma center in East Tennessee, and um, it is located in Knoxville, Tennessee. And talk a little bit about your career, how you ended up at UT Knoxville as CIO and Senior Vice President, a little bit about pivotal moments in your career, and just a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I'm a native of Detroit, so born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Um, actually, kind of funny but, story but how I got involved. You're not a Pistons sure. or a University of Michigan fan, are you? I, I am. I'm a big University of Michigan fan, yes. Oh, that's good enough. I, I have a daughter there, but I've always grew up cheering against the University of Michigan, and now I've got to start a sort of like the University of Michigan, but it's very difficult. It, it is. If you've got green and, and white running through your blood, it's going to be tough for you to root for Michigan. That's hard. But it's a well, hopefully we can hopefully we can both agree that Ohio State though is is uh, not someone we're going to cheer for. Well, good enough, good enough. No, no but we're a big <laughs> fan of the University of Michigan and 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 a fantastic institution. And how about the Detroit Pistons? Did you grow up as a Pistons fan or not? Because I was a Chicago Bulls fan. We always fought the Pistons. I, I did, and I definitely remember the Bad Boys era of the Pistons, and that was uh, that was that was kind of the highlight of the Pistons uh, seasons over the last twenty years or so now. Magnificent, magnificent stuff between Isaiah Thomas, Bill Iver, and more. Let me take you back to CIO stuff in your career. Uh, keep on going, Michael. Tell us more about yourself. Yes. Yeah. So I started really in the IT career field almost by accident. So I purchased a computer from uh, Best Buy. And just a few days after purchasing the computer, we had lightning strike a pole behind our house. Uh, it was a telephone pole. And at that time, uh, Scott, you'll remember this quite well, it was dial-up internet access is how you got online. Um, and it, it hit the telephone pole and backfed into the computer and, and fried our computer. So we had called. I bought the extended warranty. We had called, and someone came out to the house, and we were talking. And, and I'd always been uh, interested in the technology field. It was a burgeoning field at the time and still is very much so. And the gentleman said to me, he said, you know what? You should consider getting into the IT field. Here's a name and number of the company that I work for. You know, we're interested in hiring, and, and we'll help uh, from the schooling aspect of things. So. I ended up following up with that and uh, got a job with that company. And that company did, before Geek Squad existed, did repairs for computers for people that bought things from Best Buy. And they also had a contract with British Airways at Metropolitan Airport in Detroit doing all their network services. So I really kind of cut my teeth on the, the, the infrastructure technology side doing that. Uh, from there, I got a job at, at General Motors. So being from Detroit, most people in Detroit at least to have a manufacturing tie or a, or a tie to the big three. And so I worked for General Motors doing the, the Y2K years and was actually involved in their, their what they call a war room with the FBI in the late 90s and turning into the year 2000. And that's because General Motors owned the Hughes Satellite Division. So it was looked at as a national security concern, the, the entire Y2K thing. So um, I was actually part of the group that helped with that. Had then moved over to and um, was a vice president at a company called BBDO, which is um, a, a, the largest marketing and advertising company in the world. Uh, Omnicom is their parents' company, 
and was uh, vice president of IT there for seven years in which we did marketing and advertising for uh, a number of organizations. Now, the organization in Detroit that we did marketing and advertising for was Chrysler. So we did all the brands, the Chrysler, the Jeep, and the Dodge brand. And you'll likely remember that, that Chrysler got sold to Daimler-Benz in Germany. And when that happened, uh, I actually had a friend of mine that was at Henry Ford Health System call me and said, look, we're looking for somebody with your skill set. We want a CTO. Would you come on board over here and, and then help us out? So I interviewed with them and, and joined Henry Ford Health System and was there as their chief, te chief technology officer in Detroit for, for five years. About three and a half years into that, our CIO at the time was going out on a, what was supposed to be a six-week medical leave. And unfortunately, uh, that six-week medical leave turned into 18 months, and it was a terminal, uh, and he ended up passing from what he had. But during that time, I was asked to fill in as the interim CIO at, at uh, Henry Ford Health System and, and got just a tremendous amount of experience doing that role and, and learning uh, the CIO functions of a large medical system like Henry Ford Health System. Um, from there, actually, today took a consulting role, wanted to learn more about healthcare IT and, and specifically kind of CIOs across the country, and took a consulting role and did consulting for uh, about four years uh, at various hospitals and health systems across the country, essentially focusing on uh, creating IT roadmaps and then doing a, a consulting uh, CIO role. So I would go in if they needed an interim CIO, I would go in, help develop strategic roadmap, work with their boards, work with their senior executives, put together those roadmaps, and then and help uh, find or recruit a permanent replacement. So that's actually how I found the University of Tennessee Medical Center. I came on board, helped them develop a strategic roadmap. Their CIO left. They asked me to step in to be an interim CIO. And after four months, they asked if I would stay on board and take that job full time. So I moved our family to Tennessee and have been there ever since. And I'm going on up on five years here in April. And, and so how are you enjoying Tennessee? And, and what a great role to be CIO there. It, it is. It's a fantastic role. It's, it's, a, great, it's a great region. Uh, one of the most visited, the most visited national park in the country is, is right in our backyard. So it's naturally just a beautiful area and, and a great group of people to work with. Oh, fantastic. Talk about, you've written about a couple subjects at length and, and talked about them some. Talk about shortages in health IT. What, what, you are the absolutely quintessential, perfect career. Someone sort of dabbled into health IT through an interesting way, through literally a, a computer that went wrong and then built a health IT career, built an IT career. And, and there's so much, you know, opportunity for just wonderful people to join IT in these in these other routes, not necessarily going through a, a computer engineering program at, at, at the University of Michigan or wherever it is, but to come at it in different ways and grow great careers. So how do you deal with, how do we manage? Is that one of the ways that you deal with the IT shortage? No, absolutely is. And I think it starts with, with more of a macro level. And that is, you know, in 2019, there were a million more IT jobs than there were people. And so that, that's what we're facing today. Now that, that was in 2019 prior to COVID. COVID has just made that and exasperated that even more so, so that the number of IT jobs are even growing further and further as organizations like, you know, restaurants and your mom and pop shops all have to embrace technology in order to survive and in order to thrive. And so IT is in demand more now than ever. And, and Scott, I think you're spot on. I, I think we need to look at recruiting in many different places. 
and, and change the way we look at recruiting in IT, specifically healthcare IT. You know, healthcare IT used to be almost a country club where you know you couldn't join unless you had experience or you knew someone that was there and they were able to, to vouch for you and get you on board. But I think in this day and age, you know, we're not just competing with hospitals and health systems down the street. For IT resources and talent, we're competing across the country. We're literally competing with Silicon Valley, with Austin, Texas, with, with uh, cities all across this country for the same resources. Specifically on the infrastructure side, you know, if you are a network engineer, a server engineer, it doesn't matter if those that network equipment is at a hospital or is serving a restaurant or is serving a website somewhere, the technology is all the same. And so those resources are, are high in demand. And uh, I think we need to change the way we look at recruiting and start recruiting from other industries and sectors that, frankly, in many ways are further along than when health, where healthcare is and will help us embrace some of where we need to go from a consumer-friendly perspective. Fantastic. And, and, and really, so many brilliant people. It's like the same thing with doctors and nurses and so forth. We set up these crazy education requirements in some places and these crazy filters that then leave us with shortages and the inability to even touch millions of people that could be magnificent doctors and nurses and chief information officers and so forth. I mean, is that a fair statement? It is, absolutely. And that's a, that's a very fair statement. And I think we, we continue to have a problem with diversity in healthcare IT. You know, women make up almost half of the workforce, but in healthcare IT, they're only 26% of the workforce. And again, that was prior to COVID, and they have been impacted much more so than any group as a result of COVID. And they are leaving healthcare IT more than they are joining, quickly, more quickly than they are joining healthcare IT. And we've got to address that as an organization and as an industry. And then the same thing with minorities, uh, African-Americans only account for, depending on what statistic you look at, between 3 and 6% of all healthcare IT workers. So as we look at our shortage in healthcare IT, I think not only do we have a moral responsibility to make sure that we address the, the diversity issues, both from a gender perspective, but also from a racial perspective, um, but I also think we need to provide opportunities for these folks because we need to get some talent in healthcare IT and um, that's an area we need to focus on. Well, and it's really that, it's, it's not just the moral ethical imperative, it's a real business imperative that mm -hmm. if you're not tapping into these communities, you end up not getting your percentage of the greatest, smartest people in the world. It just, it just, it's, it's inevitable if you're, if you're leaving out the 12% of the people that are African-American and not aggressively tapping into that, then you're not going to have as great a workforce. And it's the same thing if you're not tapping into the 52% that are women and you're only half represented by women, then you're missing half the people that are as brilliant as anybody else. In the workforce, so just as from a business imperative, aside from a moral and ethical, which which I agree with you completely, you just end up having a subpar team if you're not fully tapping into these communities. I agree with you absolutely. Talk. There's a very strong business case to be made for exactly what you just laid out, Scott, uh, and, and that is, it's just diversity is, is yeah, and diversity is much more than than just skin color or sexual orientation. It really is bringing your diverse ideas and concepts with you. And, you know, at the very least, organizations need to mirror their communities from a, a diverse population. And IT doesn't do that. IT does not, we do not mirror our communities that we live and work in. And you're right, there is a very strong business case to do that. It hopefully starts to get better and better, but there's a lot of work to do. You've also talked some about 
telehealth and what we're seeing in virtual health. And talk about that through the lens of a CIO, what you're seeing and how that's evolving and so forth. Well, I think we've clearly turned a corner when it comes to telehealth. I know we've been talking about telehealth as an industry now for years. Um, but COVID has, has thrust that into the spotlight. And I think what we've seen is the, now the payers are on board. And, and that really is what was needed. Uh, it's very difficult to roll out telehealth if we're not financially reimbursed for that. And I think that by virtue of the fact that now the private payers and the, the government payers have now come on board and provided funding for that and reimbursement, uh, I think you're going to see this as a very viable alternative going forward. I also think consumers are going to demand it. I think people are, are very much um, enamored with, with telehealth. I think they, they want flexibility as when they can reference and speak with their physician and others. You know, we, we send out surveys, and I think there's a number of organizations that have looked at research now to even see from a quality perspective, what has telehealth done? Uh, and telehealth is at least on par with the quality that we are seeing uh, in brick and mortar and face-to-face, -face, if not exceeding the, the clinical outcomes that we're seeing today. And so for so many reasons, I mean, you saw this with urgent care originally, at least urgent care originally was sort of people fought it, they weren't ready for it, this, that, the other. And of course, once consumers demanded it, and consumers love it, you get here when you want it, where you want it, for them to fight through your doctor's office to get an appointment, it became extremely popular. And now that people can access a lot of what they need through telehealth, those programs that make it easy, those systems that make it easy, have a huge advantage because because people want it and just makes life a million times more convenient for everybody if we can do a lot of it that way. And we talk a lot about direct virtual health versus hybrid offerings and so forth. But I, I think a fascinating perspective, and I think you're right on payment methodology. If payment doesn't pay for it, it, it adds a huge barrier to it. But hopefully those continue to keep on coming down. Talk That's about Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Scott. No, oh, it, it'll ahead. be interesting to track. It'll be interesting to track wearables as well. So I, I know the technology continues to to um, be unveiled. Where you know those of us that are wearing Apple watches or or different Fitbit devices or things like that, we can start tracking real time, you know, uh, heart rates and and BMI and those, those type of things. Um, so that'll be very interesting to track. I think we need to kind of balance that though with the clinical relevance of uh, how much of that really needs to be in the EHR and how much of that becomes noise to the provider or the physician or the nurse that that's standing in front of the patient. Uh, and so if you can use that to look at trends, I think that'll be very helpful. But if you're getting a notification, you know, every time someone submits a BMI, one of your patients at home submits a BMI, or if they're looking at pill compliance where the bottles now are Bluetooth enabled and we're making sure that, you know, Mrs. Smith is now taking her pills as she should, uh, I think that technology is great, but I think we need to figure out how to make sure that technology is relevant from both the patient side and the provider side, so it doesn't just become more noise for the provider. Completely, completely. And, and talk for a moment about what do you? What are the three biggest challenges you're working through this year? What What do you view it as? Senior Vice President, CIO, Great Medical Center. What are the three top challenges you're working on now? I think the number one challenge is staffing, and it's our people, and that is the most important resource we have. It's the most important resource any organization has, and you know our, our staff was was already um, very much engaged in in several projects before COVID hit, and COVID impacted them just as it impacted everybody else. I mean, they were mothers, fathers, 
uh, you know, spouses, uh, and they had to look after aging parents. They had to take care of, of kids. All of a sudden, now they had to be the teacher at the home. So it, it's making sure that our team members are also taken care of and not looked at as a commodity, because I think sometimes uh, we can look at team members or people as more commodity, especially in, in, in technology where it's, it's about the technology and not so much about the people. Uh, but I think it needs to be the other way around. I think we need to focus on the people first and then the technology second, because uh, the people are really the, the most important asset we have, and they're the ones that help enable the technology and develop that for us. So that, that's the number one. And number two uh, is is cybersecurity, and I think I'd be amiss if I didn't include this in our list here. You know, cybersecurity. We use the word unprecedented, Scott. We've used that so many times now over the last you know eighteen to twenty four months in these various events that unfold. Well, this is unprecedented, or that's unprecedented. But truly, in the area of cybersecurity, we are seeing unprecedented numbers that that we've never seen before. You know, just in twenty twenty alone, we had a twenty five percent increase in the number of cyber attacks compared with twenty nineteen which was also a record year. Since November of 2020, we have an industry have seen a 45% increase in cyber attacks. That's just over the last couple months. So the, the number of cyber attacks that we're having to deal with is, is truly unprecedented. At a time when we're trying to take care of our staff, we're trying to allow people to work from home, which creates its own set of challenges, trying to deal with COVID, vaccine rollout, everything else. So um, that, that is a tremendous challenge that I know organizations across the country are dealing with. I think those two points are very well stated, both, um, you know, cybersecurity and people. Those seem to be the two biggest issues. I think that's a great, great perspective on the two biggest challenges, making sure you've got great talent, great teams, and you deal with cybersecurity. Anything else you put at the top of the bucket list in terms of priorities at the top of the list of priorities should have a bucket list at the top of the priorities, too. Yeah, and I think one more thing that, that is top of the list is just the overall competing priorities and the uncertainty. And I know, Scott, you're probably hearing this from, from many people you talk to, just overall uncertainty of the healthcare sector in general. You know, it seems as though now we're in this every two-year midterm cycle or four-year general election cycle where, depending on who gets in the office, um, you know, we're having to deal with various regulations and, and regulatory requirements. And there's a lot of uncertainty as to where healthcare is going and how that's going to be affected by, by our friends in, in D.C. So I think some of that is driving some uncertainty in, in overall healthcare, trying to keep up with various you know, regulatory changes, whether it's you know, the CMS conditions of participation that, that go into effect May 1st, or whether it was the um, transparency, price transparency that, that went live early this year. Um, so I think a lot of that is trying to, it, it's difficult when you don't have a solid roadmap to know where you're going, what you have to focus on, uh, it's difficult to 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 lay that out, and I think some of that is just that's just the nature of healthcare today, and some of that's driven, unfortunately, by folks outside of healthcare that that are trying to um, to reshape healthcare to to be what you know they think it should be, but uh, you know that causes challenges to those of us in healthcare as we're uncertain as to what the next step looks like. No, and the, and the point is well taken. I mean, the constantly, regardless of who is the president, the next president seems to want to turn things around just to change them regardless without necessarily a lot of thought as to why and and this constant back and forth between leaders is uh you know you had the situation where the ACA was enacted led to Medicaid expansion led to a lot of people getting covered that weren't covered then of course President Trump tries to fight that and turn that around and then President Trump 
there's a lot of challenging things. There's, there's a couple things. And the natural reaction by President Biden is to turn those things around regardless, or at least to pick back up where the ACA was and so forth. And it's a fascinating sort of constant back and forth that makes it sort of as a healthcare organization trying to sort of play through that and pivot as you work through that is, is constantly challenging. Yes. And remember, healthcare IT is, is really at the core of a lot of those things. So whether it's ACA or conditions of participation or price transparency, it's all driven by technology. And so th that's part of the challenge, too, is, is as you try to develop a roadmap as a CIO, as I try to develop my roadmap over the next 24, 36 months, there's a lot of uncertainty about what we need to do to make sure we remain compliant from a regulatory perspective. And if we're going to put all of our efforts into you know, one area, is that something we're going to have to go back and redo later, just a few years later? No, just a fascinating perspective. Michael, I, I want to thank you for joining us today. Senior Vice President, Chief Information Officer, just a great pleasure to visit with you on health shortage, talent shortage issues, cybersecurity issues, where telehealth is going, and a lot more. And what a remarkable career. Thank you very much for joining us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Scott, thank you for having me, and thank you for all you do to keep us all informed in healthcare about what's happening uh, day to day. We appreciate it.